Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with Kino Holland, director at Fieldwork, the Melbourne-based architecture studio behind the award-winning contemporary arts precinct, Collingwood Yards. Tune in as we chat about Kino's childhood, growing up in a mountain village in Peru, the responsibility of architects to future-proof the buildings they design and how to design buildings that foster community instead of forcing it. Hey, Kino, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you doing? Hi, Vince. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been a long time coming, and we've been talking last year, initial conversation, which is really cool to finally meet you. Um, you're in Melbourne. I'm in Sydney. Uh, but we're well and good. And how, how's, how's life treating you? Life's really good, thanks, Vince. Uh, look, I, I just got back from uh, Japan, so... Uh, it's been really wonderful getting out of the bubble, you know, actually yeah. the second time I've managed to get away since COVID and, and it's just so beautiful, you know, being able to sort of expand our horizons again. Yeah. It makes such a difference. Were you on holiday or work related? I actually, um, I took my mom there for her 70th birthday. So it was oh, a 70th nice. birthday present. And also, uh, one of my oldest and closest friends here in Australia for his 40th birthday gave him the gift was a trip to Japan. And he's wow. just turned 47, so it shows how long it's taken to plan the trip. You <laughs> <laughs> should have waited for his 50th. But it was a, how, how long did you guys go for? Um, it was a week with my mother um, and then a week with uh, my group of friends. So wow. yeah, we had two weeks. And what did she think of it? Uh, look, my mom was uh, pretty blown away by it, by, to be honest. She'd never been, and, um, you know, we took her to Kyoto. I went with uh, my mom, daughter, and partner, Eugenia. Um, uh-huh. And, yeah, we went to Kyoto, and it was just, you know, beautiful. And as you know, Vince, you know, the beautiful thing about Japan is just sort of walking around without sort of any sort of set plans and yeah. just discovering all these sort of wonderful things and eating all this beautiful food. So, no, it was yeah. a really wonderful trip. It's an incredible place. I lived there for almost a year, and it was just um, very special. Uh, wonderful culture and uh, incredible craftsmen, uh, craftspeople uh, there too. What do you think of the architecture? Um, I mean, uh, it's just mind-blowing, the quality, really. Vince, you know, even just looking at sort of pretty sort of humble uh, construction have done with such care and attention. And I also, I think the thing I always bring away from my trips to Japan is the enormous amount of respect given to space over there. You know, I, mm. I think, um, you know, everything is done, you know, everything's, sort of done smaller and so much more considered. And I mean, I've got to be honest, though, I don't understand the kind of uh, economics of it sometimes because you'll go into a cafe and it'll be, you know, eight square meters and there'll be like, you know, <laughs> three seats and somehow it's a thriving little <laughs> business, you know. I just don't, don't really understand it. But um, yeah, so really come back and sort of think to myself, we've got to be better at using, you know, and, and Melbourne and Sydney in particular, obviously, you know, land prices are really high and we've got to be mm. really considerate about how we use space. But I think we can, we can be even better about it, you know? I think we can really think about it even more carefully. Because yeah. every little nook, nook and cranny in Tokyo and Kyoto and this other center, anyway, 
is used in a in a really sort of effective and considered way. Yeah, it's incredible how they how they live in such small small places, but they make it. It's not doesn't feel compromised. It just feels still very special. Last year, you won an Australian Institute of Architects award for urban design for your brilliant project, Collingwood Yards. That was amazing. It's an amazing project. How did it feel when you won that? Oh, thanks so much, Vince. Yeah, look, uh, we were very proud. I mean, it's always really nice when you get um, recognition from your peers. So it was, it was wonderful to receive that award. And look, you know, as field work, we just um, we just turned ten, so we're quite a young practice. Um, mm-hmm. Collingwood Yards is, you know, really one of our most important projects. A real love project for us because we won that uh, when we were just two years into our practice. Ah. So you know, it's been a long time coming. It's been yeah, a, yeah. a long project for us, and. Um, and it's been a really beautiful project to see kind of emerge out of out of COVID. And yeah, to get that award was really wonderful recognition as well. Melbourne's a long way away from where you grew up in Peru. How did that, how did it all happen? Like, what was life like then in uh, in Peru in the small town uh, Oyatana? Oy- how do you say it? Oyatana? It's Oyente Tambo. Okay, um, cool. So yeah, been, I thought so, I'd get um, that wrong. <laughs> look, everyone gets it wrong, to be honest. Uh, Vince, you haven't lived there for a few years before you can pronounce it. Um, <laughs> look, we, we moved there when I was two years old. My parents uh, set up one of the first adventure travel companies in Peru. Um, wow. They were uh, traveling all around South America and settled in Peru. And basically, uh, I spent my childhood there. We moved here when I was uh, 14, 15. We moved here to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, it was, a, it was a really beautiful place to grow up. I mean, Looking back on it now, I've got my own daughter and I was sort of reflecting on my childhood a bit that, you know, over there we had a very sort of free childhood, you know, it was like whole gangs of us sort of roaming the countryside without parents around. Um, you know, I, in retrospect, I feel very, very grateful for my opinion there. Wow. And, and uh, did, did, was it quite an adjustment to, you know, from there to going to school in, in Melbourne? Oh, absolutely it was. I mean, we actually left under quite difficult circumstances. I mean, Peru in the late 80s and early 90s was sort of on the brink of civil war, really. It uh, had a, a, a um, you know an insurgency by a group of terrorists called the Shining Path, and they were making life incredibly difficult for everyone across the country. You know, car bombs going off, terrible protests. And, you know, we're complaining now in Australia about inflation rates. Of, what, what is it now? Seven, eight percent. You know, we had several thousand percent inflation oh rates in Peru. Um, so, look, I'm very grateful to my parents. They made the very sort of brave decision to move the whole family. It's five siblings. And we all moved um, here to uh, Melbourne. Um, and look, it, yeah, it was a real, it was a real uh, sort of shock and adjustment. But uh, I'm so grateful that we did do it. You know, I think... Uh, we found Australia to be very welcoming and uh, we were, yeah, incredibly fortunate to be able to move here. Yeah, I guess in, the, in the, that town that you grew up in uh, is an incredibly small town, right? There's only a few thousand people. Yeah, it's, um, there's about 4,000 people living there now. It's, it's really a little village up in the mountains. Um, it's it's only quite an important tourist route in Peru on the way to Machu Picchu, which I suppose Machu Picchu are the sort of iconic Inca ruins of Peru. So... Oyente Tambo, where I grew up, was really the gateway to Machu Picchu. How do you think that influenced you kind of going forward in, in, in architecture? I mean, to be honest, like in Peru, uh, with all the uh, Inca and pre-Inca architecture, the all the amazing ruins around, and also still lived in sort of uh, ancient uh, buildings, and all the sort of layers of kind of colonial architecture on top, you know, the past is sort of very physically present, you know. 
Um, and to be honest, it originally got me very interested in archaeology. Um, and I was planning to study archaeology, but then I think I realized that I'm, I wanted something that's more about problem solving in the present, you know, that's mm. something a bit more about optimism in the future. And what I like about architecture is kind of got one foot in the past and it's always looking to the future as well, you know. So um, that was a kind of natural fit for me. I'm kind of glad I didn't do archaeology, you know, I am where I am now. How did you get into architecture? I mean, to be honest, I actually studied uh, I actually studied arts for a year, and I thought that would lead into archaeology. And mm -hmm. then after doing a year of uh, sort of history and philosophy of science and psychology and stuff like that, I sort of had a bit of an existential crisis. So I was like, oh, what am I, what am I sort of doing in my life? I'm probably smoking a few too many splits at uni and sort of thinking about it all too much. Um, I actually took a year off, and I went back to Peru and worked there as a trekking guide for a while, and I lived in England for a while. And it was actually my mother who said, why don't you try um, architecture? And then suddenly it suddenly made sense. It just sort of crystallized everything for me. And I'd always been very much into um, sort of construction and the sort of practical side. And I was always really into designing things as well. So, Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, it's, it's interesting how it's often my mother did the same for me. She said, hey, why don't you try art school or design, et cetera. And I listened to her. Um, you got to listen to your mom. I yeah, I'm really thankful that I did, to be honest. I mean, she saw something that I didn't see in myself. It was exactly the same with my mom. You know, she thought she was, it was amazing. She sort of identified that. And uh, uh, well, it's not surprising she identified that, but it was it was just surprising to me when she sort of told me and that suddenly made sense, you know. Right. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. So you're the co-director of Fieldwork. Who's the other director? Well, we've actually got two other directors. Um, so we've got Ben, uh, who's uh, the other founding director. And then we've got Hannah Jonathan. So Ben Keck was our founding director. Hannah Jonathan's uh, joined us uh, a few years ago now. And so she's the uh, third director here at Fieldwork. So three of us. And how did you guys meet and decide to create Fieldwork? Well, Ben, so, uh, ben and I uh, met through some friends. And actually, we, we got together with our good friend Giuseppe DeMeo uh, about 12, 13 years ago now. And we actually didn't set up Fieldwork. We set up a company called Assemble. Um, which that continues to, you know, um, be uh, you know thriving business. Um, so we set up Assemble as a as a developer, and we also launched a publication called Assemble Papers, which continues to exist today. Mm. Um, and really, we came together with a bit of a shared vision. You know, at the time, um, you know, over a decade ago, you know, there wasn't really anyone, perhaps other than Neo Metro, and there was a couple of other developers doing some okay work. Neo Metro was doing some lovely work, of course. But there was no one really designing the kind of apartment buildings that we wanted to live in, you know? So mm. we set up this development business with a view to make it a very design-led uh, development business or a sustainable, very community-led development business. And um, it all sounds a little bit obvious now because, you know, there are a lot, of, a lot of people are sort of trying to do similar things at the moment. But at the time... It felt sort of quite fresh, and we got a you know a lot of attention, and and we're very fortunate to be able to do a project, um, which actually Giuseppe and his family, Ben and his family, and and me and my family still live in. You know, we we developed a um, a project of forty nine apartments and eighteen townhouses, and it's a beautiful, thriving community in uh, Clifton Hill here in Melbourne. Oh wow! So how does that feel like? So how long ago was that? So the building was finished. Uh, five years ago now, uh, okay. a little under five years ago. Um, yeah. But of course, the conception and lead up to it all, yeah, it's a sort of been a eight, nine year project in all. Um, and, 
and, and what are the defects like? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. To be honest, or... it's been really good, uh, Vince. We, you know, obviously an enormous amount of love went into a lot of attention. And we we're really lucky. We got a fantastic builder, uh, Minicon. Yeah. Uh, we partnered up with Icon Construction. Uh, sorry, Icon Developments to do the development and, and Walsh projects as well. So it was really great team effort. And look, to be honest, Vince, it's been really humbling and really, I suppose, important for my own personal development as a designer to actually live in one of the projects. You yeah. know, I. Especially because, you know, we do do quite a lot of housing design, multi-residential housing design, yeah, yeah. I mean. And so to actually live in an, in an apartment project, it's a great sort of living, breathing laboratory. You know, I've learned so yeah. much by, by doing it. And also, yeah, it's a, we, we're incredibly proud of it because it's been a beautiful, very resilient community, especially through challenges like COVID. It's a very neighborly, uh, yeah. lovely place to be. Did you know from the outset that you were going to buy into it or be living in it? I think so, Vince. Yeah. Um, I just wonder yeah, if you we, kind of tr treated it any differently or better because you knew that. Maybe. I mean, look, because it was after us project as assemble, we were already pouring yeah. so much love yeah, yeah, yeah. into it. You know, we yeah. really wanted to prove ourselves and show what we could do. So um, we were putting a lot of love into it. Um, but yeah, sometimes it was challenging actually wearing double hat, which was, or triple hat really. One was architect, developer, and then potential purchaser and resident, you know, it's sort, yeah, of, yeah, sort yeah. of got a bit complicated sometimes. But um, Does it, has it panned out to be what you in, in you know and plan for it to be? Yeah, absolutely, it has. And I think you know because we started Assemble Papers, uh, which was very much about sharing ideas that you know we were passionate about and advocating for a better city. And the tagline of Assemble Papers uh, was. Uh, the culture of living closer together. So it's very much about everything mm. that makes, you know, cities great. Uh, the community coalesced around the publication and we were actually, uh, we sold a lot of the project through the database that we built with the publication. So the people that sort of bought into it uh, were coming with a kind of similar sort of philosophy. You know, they were already interested, um, you know, being part of a community. And what was lovely about it is that we actually got a real mix. So it wasn't just sort of young designing types you know we had quite a lot of oldies uh you know singles couples families people with pets so it's a really diverse community and the thing that's been lovely to observe actually is that i think the building isn't what makes the good community it's obviously the people as a silly cliche thing to say but you actually really need like a mix of ages i think in in a building to make it mm. um, a successful community I mean, certainly the building can help foster community through the way it's designed. Like we've got a lot of communal spaces at Roseneath Street, and I've got a multi-purpose communal room and a communal workshop and a big emphasis on sort of shared circulation spaces and shared gardens. Um, mm. So that certainly helped people to kind of get to know their neighbors. You know? mm. I mean, because you said it was 45 apartments? Correct, and uh, 18 townhouses. Yeah, so it's not, I mean, it's not, enormous but it's still sizable in terms of there's multiple people within each apartment it's like a, that's I guess exactly a, right a yeah it's, it's a reasonable scale sort of we haven't ever counted exactly how many people are there actually we probably should do that uh, <laughs> it has been changing a little bit um yeah i definitely would say that um one of the great successes has been the older people there because they sort of um you know perhaps you know because they're retired they've maybe got a little bit more time on their hands they've been able to um you know they formed wonderful clubs like the gardening club. There's a there's a club that get together and actually buy eggs, sort of bulk buy eggs, and just little things like that. And um, oh, the sort of sense of neighbourliness, especially during COVID, is really wonderful. 
One of the developers you work with is Michael uh, McCormack, who have I, I've had on my podcast um, from Milu. Um, he's a B Corp. Uh, obviously, you guys are very like-minded in your approach. Um, talk about the projects you've done with him. Yeah, so uh, funnily enough, you mentioned B Corp. We're actually just in the process of becoming B Corp at the moment, so we should well be able done. to announce that pretty soon, which is exciting. Cool. Um, but um, look, we we love Mike and uh, and Shannon and the rest of the team. I mean, they their businesses really parallel ours in, in in a lot of ways. They really start at a very similar time to us, and we met them very early in our respective journeys, and we've become very close friends. And um, we've done yeah, sort of half a dozen projects together now, and. Mm. Um, really what it boils down to is the very best clients are those that you're sort of philosophically aligned with. It just makes everything a lot easier, you know, and they, uh, and then you'd know as well from having chatted to Mike, I mean, they're sort of out there hand on heart trying to do really high quality projects. You know, they actually do really care about what they do. And they're also arranged in building a long-term brand, you know, that's not sort of developers that, you know, just want to get in, make a quick buck and get out, you know, yeah. they're sort of interested in the long-term life of their buildings. Yeah, yeah, and that aligns very nicely with architects. Architects want yeah. the buildings to have a, a beautiful long life, and they want them to age well, and they want to do things that, that you know that they're proud of. And so that's why that alignment's been wonderful with me. Do you do that as assemble or do that as field work? Are you or is it both? Yeah, look, I should clarify. So after um, Giuseppe Ben and I finished the um, the first project, we did a strategic review. We weren't sure where to go from there. Uh, ben and I were running field work as a separate architecture business. Giuseppe DeMeo was running um, his uh, practice, um, uh, his design practice called Local Peoples. Uh, you know, they did this design strategy in place, making a whole a bunch of wonderful things as well. And so the result of that strategic review was that we actually um, sold uh, Assemble to one of our clients, um, Chris Staff from Make Ventures. He'd come up with okay. this really innovative model, which was um, uh, the build to rent to then sell, which is where you get a five-year rental period with the option to buy your apartment at the end uh, at a pre-agreed price. Okay, um, cool. And then subsequently, Ben and I joined that business as uh, Ben joined as strategy director. I joined as design director. And we worked with Chris and his team to, I suppose, launch the new chapter of Assemble. Uh, we, we worked with them for about four or five years. Uh, and we got that new concept, uh, the, the, what's now called Assemble Futures, sort of market ready. And we also designed uh, and helped deliver the first uh, Assemble project. And we also really helped write the kind of design DNA for Assemble. And now um, it's uh, Ben and I, a couple of years, stepped back to really just focus on fieldwork. So fieldwork is our sole focus now. And Assemble is, uh, you know, doing some amazing things. They've got a really significant pipeline of projects. And uh, yeah, we've been proud and, you know, sort of setting that on its course. Uh, but to circle back to your initial question about, you know, how we sort of work with um, the clients like Milieu, it's, it's strictly through fieldwork. So, you know, we're in, we're in architecture practice and we offer our sort of architectural uh, sort of services. Um, yeah, I guess with, with experience in doing your own developments prior. That's um, exactly right, Vince. I should probably actually note that one thing that does differentiate us a bit from other architecture practices is that of the three directors, you know, Hannah and I are architects, but Ben's actually not an architect. You know, he comes from a okay. background in finance, law and property. Um, you know, he's got a fantastic strategic mind. And so we actually do help clients sometimes with kind of strategic thinking uh, beyond the sort of parameters of just plain architecture. And we also, because we've done development, we kind of get the financial mechanics of development. So, you know, that's been 
really good at sort of sharpening our focus on, on you know how to design. Well, talk to me about your approach to design, your philosophy, uh, approach to design architecture. The big issue that we're grappling with right now, which is the big issue in the world right now, which is really the climate emergency, you know? Um, so really, the big focus for us as a practice is how can we, you know, make more positive impact in terms of the way that we deal with the environment. I mean, as a practice, we've been shifting our focus more and more towards um, what broadly you could sort of term public or community infrastructure. So we're doing more schools, um, we're doing more cultural infrastructure, uh, we are doing social housing, affordable housing, um, aged care as well. So these are all things that you know are very necessary, very important sort of infrastructure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we feel very good about that. But and over the last years, we've been always working on how we can, while delivering this positive infrastructure, how we can, I suppose, reduce the harm we're doing to the environment. But the truth about it is that reduced harm is still harm. You know, where we're trying to get to and where the big folks in the practice is, it's like actually how can we deliver this important infrastructure? You know, how can we build our cities, keep them resilient and build all the necessary housing and stuff, but not be damaging our environment? So, you know, within Fieldwork, we have uh, a team called Field Studies. Um, so it's a subset. And, you know, one of, and it's really our arm that does research and you know, a big part of what we're researching and looking into is decarbonization of construction, sort of, you know, how we can really reduce our environmental impact. But the big part of it actually is that we're building a kind of toolkit in-house to assist our clients to improve the environmental credentials of their buildings. So we've trained up, you know, we've got now a couple of team members who are Passive House certified. We've got our three team members who are, uh, Green Star accredited professionals. Uh, we're sort of trying to build more and more of that expertise in house, mm. so that we can go hand in hand with our clients on the on a journey of you know a higher level of sustainability. That's fantastic, and you're carbon neutral as well, right? As I read somewhere. Yeah, look, we are carbon neutral. I mean, that's sort of in the context of things feels a little bit token, you know. I mean, yeah. really, the, yeah, I so. the big impact that we're all making as architects is the you know these buildings we're building are have got a, a you know an enormous sort of environmental debt on them so mm-hmm. um i suppose that's the the big area of focus for us uh, at the moment you know and, and look i'm an eternal optimist to be honest uh vince and you know I, I i really think that we we will be able to find a lot of uh, we will we will find solutions to to reduce or greatly reduce the the impact on uh, the environment on these buildings you know things like cross laminated timber are really exciting you know, technologies i'm sitting talking to you right now on a cross laminated timber table uh, which we Ooh. had made a few years ago by a uh, cross-laminated timber supplier. We, yeah, that, that's, an, that, that's an exciting area for us, yeah. And the, the project, the Collingwood Yards Precinct, did that, did that um, come in with that kind of sustainable focus? Is that why you got the, that project in the first place? Um, look, we were approached by Marcus Westbury, um, who uh, is of uh, Renew Newcastle fame, uh, uh, as a side note, he'd be a really fascinating person to speak to on, okay, on, on cool. your podcast, actually. He's an yeah. uh, incredibly smart uh, person. So he was the CEO of Creative Arts Precincts, a not-for-profit that was formed uh, by himself, a really visionary board, including the chair, um, Daniel Beeson, who's an um, amazing local philanthropist. Um, so, uh, 
Marcus actually approached us. We were an emerging practice, Vince. We'd only been around for a couple of years. We were sort of mm. scratching around looking for projects. And he invited us to be part of a design competition. Mm-hmm. And we were up against a lot of sort of Melbourne luminaries, you know. We are up against sort of 10 uh, really incredible sort of established firms. And uh, look, we're really so excited that we won the project. And it was a yeah. really important turning point for us. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason that we won it was, um, you know, it's a, it's a complex of existing quite derelict buildings at the time on Johnson Street in Collingwood. They'd been a former uh, technical college. And the strategy that we came to them with was to really do the minimum to the existing buildings and to put all the necessary new infrastructure, like lifts and stairs, to really bring them up to code on the outside of the buildings and make those sort of objects of beauty and sort of sculptural sort of interesting objects in themselves. and that strategy, that that approach really unlocked the project. So I think that was one of the key design waves that we made. Um, but coming back to sustainability, I mean, the most sustainable thing you can do is try and house, you know, uh, you know, create residences or workplaces or education places within buildings we already have. You know, uh, adaptive reuse is a huge area of focus uh, for us and a real area of interest. So we are looking at new adaptive reuse um, uh, projects at the moment. Yeah, well, that's it's it's an imperative that we do, isn't it? Across every every industry across society. Absolutely. How do you design a community? Look, I guess um, I mean one thing is I feel like this word community gets thrown around a lot by architects. You know, we mm-hmm. we feel like we can design community. I don't think one can design community. What one because community is a very very complex, and I've realised this the longer I've lived at Roseneath Street or kind of longer I've sort of observed it. It's a very complex, um, you know. Uh, a thing. What you can do, though, so you can't really design it. But what you can do is design buildings that that can help foster it. You know, so a big focus in our project is is the communal, is you know spaces that are shared. So rather than just focusing on apartments, it's what's the connective tissue. How can we make the circulation spaces be more neighbourly type spaces? How can we, you know, work with the, our clients to you know, finding the budget space for communal amenities like, you know, communal rooms, uh, washing lines, dog washer areas, communal mm-hmm. workshops, um, you know, those sort of things. So, uh, and also on our sort of office projects or educational projects, we're also quite interested in how, you know, the community within the building interact with the broader community, how the building can facilitate that. So rather than sort of being very closed, how do you sort of blur those lines a bit, you know? It could be as simple as putting some little inbuilt bench seats out the front in a little pocket park that, you know, the community is invited into, and that could yeah. be a place for mixing. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, I, 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 I certainly do believe that buildings can, you know, um, foster a sense of community if they're designed right. Um, so, uh, you know, I certainly think that architecture and urbanism has a big part to play in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the and the building you live in, I just out of interest because obviously people are different. We're all human beings, kind of doing our best through life and getting on with life, etc. But some of us are quite introverted. In a, in a building development like the one you live in, which you've designed, is there people in that building who don't want to kind of connect with others, or is everybody open to that? Look, it's a it's a huge mix, and to be honest, sometimes I don't feel like mixing with other people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might be a Saturday morning, and I've been out the night before. What else? Like we designed a bit. You know, we design all our buildings with a really big focus on community, but also making sure that people can have total privacy. 
you know, mm. that it's not this kind of cult-like thing where everyone's got to participate all the time. No, it's, you know, okay. there's got to be total privacy. But what we like to do, um, you know, like, for example, in our latest Assemble project that's been delivered in Kensington, we've got, you know, this open walkway, um, you know, over seven stories, and all the apartments have got window space in them, which are just clear glass. But as mm. part of the base build of the spec of the building, we've actually got curtains. I mean, it sounds very simple, but people can just draw the curtain and, you know, have total privacy from the communal mm. spaces. It's what we don't want to do, though, is put overemphasis on privacy and put fixed solutions in that mean you end up with isolation. You know, like, like you yeah. know, we don't want to force people to be part of a community, but it's nice that, you know, you know, when you sort of arrive at the building that, you know, you might sort of make eye contact with your neighbors. You walk past their front door and, you know, say good day and little nod to them. You know, it's not about becoming best friends with everyone. It's about that idea of neighborliness. And, and also... I don't know. I feel it makes the community sort of safer and people look out for each other. Mm. And um, yeah, so I think more than sort of community, we're trying to foster probably neighboriness actually in our building. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. neighboriness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked about build, build to rent before. Do you think that's <laughs> the future of our inner city, li city living issues? I mean, we're, there is a real issue right now, certainly in Australia, around house shortages and, and cost of uh, living. Yeah, look, in a way, I mean, I think it's part of the solution. I really hope it's not the solution. You know, I think built to rent has sort of appeared because there's been a bit of a gap in the market in Australia for a while. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who sort of aren't in the position to buy anymore. So there's a bigger and bigger pool of renters. And that's really made sort of built to rent appealing. Um, you know, I think it's good that the market here is diversifying. You know, it used to be 15 years ago, it was just really basic off the plan pretty crappy sort of stuff then mm. there was some more sophisticated off the plan stuff that you know us included people like milieu doing beautiful projects and now there's a real mix of build to rent coming in um so i think it's good that things are diversifying yeah mm. you're a prolific guy you don't i guess you don't switch off i mean how, how do you function uh, <laughs> all these different projects happening all the time um, look, I definitely do switch off. I mean, I think that's something I've learned over the years. You know, I, 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 I definitely enjoy the kind of energy and kind of buzz of having a lot on. Um, and, you know, I'm also very lucky, to be honest, Vince. I've got, you know, wonderful co-directors and an incredible team here. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we are able to produce a lot of projects because, you know, it's not just me. It's, it's, you know, architecture is a real team sport. Yeah, yeah um, sure. But also it's my passion. You know, I really sort of love design. I really enjoy what I do. So it sort of doesn't feel like work a lot of the time. Well, you've even helped coordinate or you've coordinated a submission to UNESCO for the world heritage status of your home village. I mean, that's, yeah, that's well, outside of architecture or is that linked with architecture? I look, it is kind of linked with architecture. I mean, uh, that submission, unfortunately, was ultimately unsuccessful, but it was part of a much larger project, which I did for my master's when I was at Melbourne Uni many, many years ago now. I sort of spent about four years working on... Um, I hate the word master plan. So it's kind of a bit colonial coming and sort of imposing these ideas. But what it was is kind of quite a <laughs> grassroots um, project where we did actually a lot of, um, I suppose, co-design and uh, workshopping with the local community. And it was very much that, you know, my hometown, my own village was undergoing rapid change because of tourism, essentially, you know. And I just wanted everyone to just pause a second and just assess where, where are we at and where do we want to head as a village, you know. And, and I think that, you know, of all the projects that we came up with in that, in that um, whole process, only some of them have been done. But the most important thing it did was it, 
it made everyone stop and pause and second go okay well where do we want to head you know with the villages because it, it was the rampant redevelopment where there was you know a lot being lost you know and um and it's a nuanced question to be honest Vince. you know you don't want to be sort of coming in and saying oh it's, isn't it great you sort of live in this you know um stone hut with the dirt floor you should continue to do that because it's lovely heritage you know i mean people have got an absolute right to you know improve their lot in life and and part of you know the, the way the, the way the village was rapidly transforming was that people were trying to improve their lot in life they're trying to build themselves nicer houses and you know um so it's a bit of a complex nuanced question um but yeah the, yeah. the unesco application was unfortunately unsuccessful but the i suppose planning and design process was, was ultimately had its moments of success yeah and am i right in understanding you designed a school in your hometown too yeah so um two of my childhood friends joaquin and aima have set up a, a beautiful school called kuska um which uh through a sort of scholarship program also provides uh, education to a lot of the local children a very high quality education and so we're designing a school for them and um i was there last year working with them on it and then actually late last year we sent two of our team members uh um andy and kieran and, and they went over there for a few weeks and worked with the kids and the teachers and and actually designed a really beautiful campus for them and we're now in the process of helping them with the fundraising uh for for that and uh i mean Vince, it's really both down to the fact that you know peru and oyente tambo in particular are really important parts of my life and i'm i suppose i'm just trying to you know create more of a link between what i do as, as a sort of business and day-to-day and, and, and my hometown yeah so genuinely wanting to help them help out absolutely it's such a contrast is it, is it a contrast i haven't been there so <laughs> yeah i can't just say that how is it it must must be quite a contrast between the two places i mean there's a massive contrast between um australia and uh peru i mean peru is a country which has you know had a really long and very tumultuous history and continues to have an incredibly tumultuous political mm. situation over there i mean it just seems to kind of go from drama to drama but the people in peru you know sort of like everywhere actually just beautiful wonderful people and incredibly entrepreneurial and and you know everyone's really working incredibly hard and trying to improve their lot you know i think the thing that the big contrast between peru and australia is one that's you know i feel incredibly grateful for is that there's an there's a lot more opportunity here you know it's it's um you know if i compare myself to my you know the kids i grew up with in you know in my home hometown you know there were, a lot of them were smarter than me a lot of them were harder working than me but you know i've through being able to come to australia and have you know much more opportunity you know i've been able to build what i have and i'm you know i'm very grateful for that so i think you know i think that that's the really the big difference is that we have a you know uh, a, a much more stable system here in australia which which allows for much more opportunity in peru it's just you know unfortunately sort of an ongoing terrible legacy of kind of colonialism there has continued a very sort of unfair system and a really um uh you know an, an unfortunate very unstable political class over there. yeah i was kind of wondering you talk so much from the heart you sound incredibly genuine and the projects that you've done are about community well i'm not going to use the word community because it's overused right <laughs> but you're generally caring about people and how they live uh work etc um how they get on and i i kind of when you look at property developments and architecture in kind of a larger scale beyond a home or one singular home uh, often in the past it's been very much based on kind of you know the 
most profitable kind of square meterage or reduce reduction in materials. Um, and it just feels like you're really focusing on, you know, a genuine heartfelt kind of desire to design better lives, to help people live better lives, not only, only and also in your hometown, but in Australia. And, and I guess there's a bit of seeing that across uh, over the last maybe 10 years in Australia, seeing that change too, that there are a lot more developers coming through that are incredibly genuine like that. Um, you know, traditionally you'd see as a developer, someone who's just about making tons, like you think of Trump, for example, yeah, sure. as, as an example. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, is it just an influx of people who just have seen, I mean, what, what's caused that is it's not, it's prior to COVID. So obviously it right. was like, it's something it's been coming from, from a for a while, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, a, there's, um, I suppose a couple aspects to, to your question. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think there's. When it comes to sort of residential development, there's definitely been a big change in a sense that I think the public are much more educated about design and demanding. Mm -hmm. You know, I think mm -hmm. for a long time, developers got away with delivering pretty poor quality sort of apartments yeah. and things. And um, once it got to the point in Australia where property prices were such that really, if you're, you know, a young couple starting out and, you know, you could no longer buy a, you know, Victorian terrace house in, you know, in a Sydney or in a Melbourne, you know, you really, apartments were going to be your main option. Um, and so developers sort of sprung up to address that market. You know, developers are very good at responding to market. But also, you know, in our journey over the last 10 years, we've met all kinds of different developers, you know, and then there are developers out there. You can't paint them all with the same brush. There's, no, there's developers out there who genuinely do want to do something they feel good about, you know, that they do want to stand by what they do. And and I think just like, like I do, I, you know, you want to wake up in the morning and go out there and do something you feel proud of, you know, it's not just mm. about sort of making money. Um, and, uh, I mean, certainly architecture is not just about making money. I can tell you that much. <laughs> What's your future ambitions for the business? You know, we have 32 at the moment. Um, we've got this, uh, you know, I, I, I really love the team we've got. It's, we've spent, you know, a lot of time building a wonderful team. They're incredibly loyal and very hardworking. I want to continue to kind of honor them through, I suppose, as best I can through, you know, providing a good workplace. And I really think also trying to work really hard to make sure that we're doing projects that we really feel proud of. You know, I, we certainly don't have ambition to grow much more than we have. We, you know, we could have been a much larger practice had we been less selective about the projects we took on. So we want to, you know, really focus on, on projects that um, are aligned with the kind of values uh, that we're about. Yeah, so really uh, the focus is um, also about, you know, the kind of projects we do and trying to help be part of the solution um, to the big problem, which is how do we deliver all this infrastructure without having a negative impact on the environment? You know, that's mm. the big, that's the number one challenge for us. And, you know, I... I'm less and less interested in the way that sort of buildings look. You know, I think a lot of architecture gets into this almost this kind of yeah. aesthetic arms race, you know. I think what yeah. we need to do is focus in on what buildings do, you know, and if we try yeah, and make that. the buildings do beautiful things, they will be beautiful. You know, if they are yeah. open and inviting and very sustainable, uh, you get all that right. And, it, you know, I think, um, I don't think architecture is all about craft and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think, you know, craft is an important part of it, but I think it's about, you know, how can you deliver this infrastructure 
in the most sensitive and environmentally conscious way you can. And then it'll be beautiful. Well, that's the title, sort of, Designing um, designing what buildings do. I think that's a great title for this. Piece. <laughs> um, and what what do you do for your personal life? Do you apply that to everything that you do? Do you do you, do you do you work out? No. Do you uh, eat eat well? Do you, do you consider is do you, do you apply that across your whole life and everything you do? Um, Vince, my body's a temple. It's a temple full of French fries <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> is it? Look, organic, I, I hope, at least. They're vegetables. Yeah, so, I always say they're vegetables. Of course, That's small fine. batch uh, uh, potatoes. Um, look, uh, you know, of course, we do try and take care of ourselves. We've got to sort of balance that against sort of having a good time as well. You know, um, one thing I've always said to my, you know, students while we teach at uni that, you know, it is important to take care of yourself physically. So I've always been a really big advocate of yoga. So I've done yoga mm-hmm. for like 12, 15 years now. Um, so, and, you know, the, I think the big thing that I do in my, my free time with uh, with my daughter and partner is uh, we're very outdoors people, you know, and um, mm-hmm. we've been very fortunate in the position to recently we bought a, a 95 acre um, bush block in the Otways, and um, you know that's going to be a really big focus for us over the next you know however many years. You know, it's a it's a real sort of rewilding project. Uh, we're oh, hoping cool. to sort of really increase the you know uh, habitat value of it. Um, it's got little yeah. pockets of remnant forest and. Lots of beautiful koalas and, and, and wonderful wildlife wow. there. So that's going to be a big focus for us is that kind of a um, rewilding project. Wow, that's really, really cool. Um, the question I always ask, uh, Kino, is uh, have you designed your life? I've been incredibly fortunate in my life that I've been able to design the place I live in and the place I work in, you know, so that, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, that, that I've been so lucky with that. Um, but in terms of designing my life, I mean, I think my upbringing has definitely taught me that, you know, where I'm at today, uh, so much of it is because of the amazing opportunities that have been given to me and, you know, the great fortune I've had and having, you know, the sort of parents and the family and friends and network and, um, and, and people surrounding me and also the wonderful opportunity I had when we sort of moved here to Australia and the opportunities that opened up to me. So. You know, I suppose I just look at my life every day with an enormous amount of uh, gratitude, actually, ultimately. And I think I need to respect that, um, you know, that gratitude and opportunity that I've been given through, you know, uh, you know, I suppose approaching it with positive energy and, you know, trying to make the best of it. Hey, Kino, thank you so much for today. It's been fantastic to catch up with you. Keep doing what you're doing because it's incredible. Let, let me know when you're up in Sydney next and we'll catch up. Oh, thanks so much, Vince. It's been wonderful speaking to you. And the, yeah, keep up the amazing work with this uh, podcast. It's, it's been really wonderful listening to the to the episodes you've done so far and, uh, and really look forward to meeting you in person. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life with Fieldwork Director Kino Holland. Tune in to the next episode where I catch up with my good mate and seriously talented artist, Dion Hortzman. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.